You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features part one of my conversation with Lanier Thomas. Lanier is a business professional with years of experience in brand and digital marketing, operations, and strategy. And she currently serves as the chief of operations at New York Theological Seminary. Raised in Harlem with deep roots in the Bronx, Lanier spent her formative years in public housing with both her mother and grandmother, who was deaf and mute. But Lanier's family dynamic took a positive turn that you don't hear about often. Her father, who had been estranged from the family, overcame a drug addiction and reconciled with her mother. And despite his absence for some time, he formed a strong bond with his daughter as well. Always a strong student, by college application time, Lanier had her sights set on Howard University. But a series of events led her to Virginia State. And although she was not enjoying the experience on campus, she tried to make the best of it. But a single altercation would change the trajectory of her college experience. And I'll let her give you the details. Here's the first half of her story. Lanier, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I am well, Delisha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just super grateful and honored to have this uh, opportunity. So happy to have you. You've already mentioned two names from the show that we <laughs> Dr. Lena and Delijah, like yes. that we had. So you're, you're in good company. I um, love the both of them. Yeah, yeah they're awesome. Mm-hmm. So it's so happy to, uh, I'm so happy to have you here and to get into your story. As I was saying before we press record here, I generally know when it's going to be a good one. It's just, <laughs> you know, a spidey sense that happens. Uh-oh. This is, I think we're headed in a good direction here. All right now. Come on. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Let's get it. <laughs> yes. Who is Lanier Thomas? Who is Lanier Thomas? Um, yeah, as easy as that question sounds, it's a really complex one. Yeah, uh, personally, I am a daughter and a sister. Um, I'm a friend. I can say that a lot of you know who I am today has been shaped by the life experiences, the lessons, um, the moments where God has kind of pushed me to see myself fully and authentically. Um, I'm someone who had to find her own voice and find her own lane, um, especially as a Black girl who grew up in the hood, um, who was always chubby, um, brown skin with kinky hair and glasses. Um, and so even thinking about my childhood, right, and in answering this question, I wasn't popular. I didn't have a lot of material things, um, but I came from a tight-knit family who loved me and invested in me uh, so deeply and always had high expectations of me. Um, And so, you know, from then on, I knew I wanted to be more, I wanted to experience more. And even with COVID, um, COVID has really had to sit me down um, because I was always used to being so busy. And I really had to ask myself those same, that same question, who is Lanier Thomas? Who am I? Um, All the things that I was too busy to look at before um, having this quiet time. It was like, wow, Um, I think I met parts of myself that I didn't even know was there. Um, I met a dreamer. um, I met a believer. um, I met a lover, a person that loves to help people, um, a person that um, always sees the bigger picture of things and tries to uh, be optimistic and bring the best out of any person or situation that I come across. I'm a warrior, someone who continues to find her strength, um, who's learned to overcome, you know, so many different uh, instances in my life where I know I was being tested for a reason. Um, someone who's had to try to uh, make room for herself in any and every space that she's walked into, um, who's never, you know, tried to turn down an opportunity to work and connect with new ideas and new people. Um, I had to learn how creative I actually am and how strong I am um, and how resilient um, I am after setback, after setback, after setback. Who Lanier is, is connected to 
the person that worked 36 hours at Starbucks while taking 18 credits in college because of a situation that I went through and I had to bounce back um, and I couldn't settle for less. Um, She's someone who, you know, came home after college and wanted to be involved in the community who wanted to be bigger than her nine to five, who wanted to be bigger than her her old neighborhood. Um, so, you know, she went and joined um, the National Council of Negro Women, specifically the Manhattan section, to get involved, to connect with women, to connect with her elders, um, to, to build some type of uh, experience in the community um, because there was there's a passion for culture that I've always had. Um, I'm someone who was working an administrative job that was just not fulfilling. And so one day uh, I just sat at the desk and said, I, I, I'm going to pick up some odd jobs doing, you know, whatever I can find, marketing, social media, event planning, helping people um, that were, you know, in my network, in my church, because I, I needed to do more and to do something more. Um, and, and all of that, again, it just, it ties back into, you know, when I think about um, how I was raised, when I think about, you know, the the many transitions and the many challenges and the struggles that I went through um, and even up into COVID and how it's kind of um, created, you know, this, this, per- this person who I am today um, connected to who I know I can be and who I want to be. Um, and professionally, I think it's kind of positioned me where, you know, now I serve as the chief of operations and a director of development for a faith-based institution here in the city. Um, and even with that, it was kind of like that was in a position that uh, was occupied before I got there. Um, but God had pushed me to a space where um, I was able to recognize my own gifts. I was able to, you know, be myself and be authentic. Um, and I got a call one day that said, this position has your name on it. Um, we're creating this for you. Um, and so, you know, that that that's who Lanier is, someone who, um, you know, continues to, to volunteer, continues to serve in a community, um, you know, uh, sitting on a board and serving on uh, some committees for a few organizations here. Um, and right now, you know, um, still, you know, doing event planning, still, still doing brand marketing for um, some clients, um, but also in the process of creating this digital platform for Black women. Um, because what I've what I've come to learn is that, you know, besides the professional development, the personal development, um, the personal growth that's needed for elevation, right? When we we talk about, you know, going to school and getting great jobs and making all this money, um, there's a part of that that I realized for me that um, I needed to tap back into. Um, And I feel like so many women can benefit from that same type of uh, work. Right. Um, so that's that's who Lanier is. <laughs> and, and, and but so many different words. And we have so many chapters that we get to march through <laughs> based on your description of yourself, which I'm very excited about. Yeah. Um, but let's start you know, at the beginning, because you mentioned some things that I think will resonate with our audience. And, mm-hmm. you know, I find it interesting that you mentioned, you know, being a, a brown skin girl uh, yeah. growing up in the hood, because. You came on screen and I'm like, okay, skin is popping, you know, with the, with the nice jewel tone shirt and the, the lip um, that, you know, we're in such a moment of self love Mm -hmm. as a people. Um, And there, there are challenges to overcome, right? We're not dismissing that, but from an insular perspective, who we are, there's so now so much joy around celebrating our complexion, celebrating our melanin. Sometimes you can forget what it was like Oof. growing up, right? Yeah. Or, you know, just not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Or what it's still like in some circles if we're we're being, if we want to be real. Yeah. But for you, talk to me a little bit more about the community that you grew up in and your family dynamic at the time. Yeah. I mean, ooh, everything you said, like I'm here for it. I, it's just that's that's my life. Um the the family, you know, um, 
I grew up in a two-parent household for the majority of my life, but it didn't start out that way. Um, you know, my mom and my dad were married and together. Him being an Army veteran, he, you know, became addicted, addicted to drugs. Um, and so my mother um, moved in with um, her mother, who was a deaf mute. She couldn't hear her speak. Um, and so that is really what I remember as far as the early part of my life. Um, and remembering my grandmother just being such a huge influence on me, just seeing this woman who couldn't hear, couldn't speak, but woke up and made me breakfast every morning, would sit me on the counter while she made cakes and pies, um, refused to take me to school because she wanted me to stay in the house with her all day while my mom worked a full-time job. And I knew daddy was around. I knew, you know, I, I know my father, but at that time I didn't know exactly what was happening. Um, grew up in writing the projects. Um, and then I remember, you know, we moved, I was around six years old. We moved down a block to, um, what was this like private residential community? Um, and it was kind of like moving on up. Um, and I'll never forget. I, I remember my father walking through the door and just embracing me and us being one big happy family. Um, so it's always been tight knit. Um, just, just, uh, really about, you know, the immediate family setting. But growing up, like you said, in the hood, you know, growing up with, with the projects, with drug dealers on the corner, um, growing up, you know, with uh, not a lot of resources in the community, um, not too many options to, you know, go to after school. I was blessed because, you know, with my father coming back into my life, you know, he invested in me. So he put me in dance class and that became the thing that I was able to hold on to for a really long time. Um, but after a while, you know, being around gangs and, you know, other people, <laughs> other types of people that who probably wasn't focused on the right things in life. Um, there were many times where I kind of felt myself kind of struggling internally with where I was physically, um, but with who I wanted to be in the future um, and where I wanted to go in life. Um, and, you know, when you don't have a lot of uh, financial resources, when you're poor, I'm going to just say it like that. Um, when your mom, like I said, had to work, you was living in the projects, when your grandmother is, is disabled, when your father is coming off of drugs and trying to get his life together, um, you feel like you don't have a lot of options. Um, but my, my mother always, you know, told me and she always poured into me like, you have no choice but to be great because I I, I made you. Um, and that was something that resonated, we, resonated with me. Um, when I couldn't, you know, get the sneakers that I wanted to wear, when I had to wear, you know, clothes from the thrift shop or, you know, when, you know, my mom wanted to go, she used to call them the cheapy deepy store. Anybody that knows my mom knows those, those words, the cheapy deepy store. Um, I had to realize that at the end of the day, there was something uh, greater that was meant to happen for me. Um, and that was a struggle. That was a struggle all the time. It was it was never a, a moment where I didn't um, wish that I had a different lifestyle, wish that things um, were so much better for me because, you know, I wasn't the popular kid. I was the kid that, you know, some people teased and some people probably wanted to be around because I was smart. You know, and, and I was nice because I wanted to to have friends. So I was kind of the person that was always, you know, trying to give and, and be there. Um, but it was it was really tough growing up in a tough neighborhood um, and having a family that really tried their best to, you know, do everything to make sure that I had what I needed. But I know at the same time they were having a tough time as well. So when I think about my experiences with my own grandmother, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the black grandmother is a deity and, yes. and, and our lineage, we talk about them for the most part, right? Not everybody, but a lot of yeah. us, we revere, particularly our maternal grandmothers, I think yes. yeah. in a way um, that it makes me emotional, right? Just to even mm -hmm. think about it. When I think about growing up and spending that time with my own grandmother, so much of what I remember is the wisdom that she imparted uh, yeah. into me. So what was the dynamic like for you? Um, you mentioned her like sitting you on the counter and making breakfast mm -hmm. for you. But how did you really process that as a child? Uh, what was the dynamic like and how did you process it knowing that I can't communicate with my grandmother in the same way that other people may, may do so? 
Yeah, I think, I, I don't think I ever processed it. I think mm-hmm. that for me, for a long time, it was the norm. It, it, that's what I knew. Um, so it was, we had our own language. She didn't know American Sign Language. We we kind of created our own language in the house. And so we would um, communicate like that. Um, but I mostly watched her. I don't really remember ever communicating with her like that, but I mostly watched her. I mostly watched how she communicated with people in the community. Um, we had, you know, living in the projects, there was graffiti on the wall. She was the one, um, along with my mother, that went and got graffiti remover and got all the little hoodlums in the building to go clean up the graffiti off the wall. You know, she was the one who was a usher at church. You know, this deaf mute woman still serving, still showing up. Um, so I, that that is the relationship that I remember and I really hold on to. The fact that I was able to watch her just be, watch her just do. She, If anything, she modeled for me. Um, that strength and, and resilience that I still hold on to this day. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until recently she passed away, um, you know, about 20 something years ago. It wasn't until recently where I really, really started to kind of try to remember what I, what it felt like to be in her presence. Um, and for a while, you know, I, I remember being scared of death because I was scared of losing her and how I couldn't see life without my grandmother around, without having someone to look to. My mother was there and, you know, my God, my mom is my absolute hero. Um, but when you, when you, you know, the six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old me just, just, it, I, I didn't, it couldn't process all of who my grandmother was. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's something that even, even right now, you know, I, I I feel this presence with me um, because I can just see her moving. I can see her doing. I can see her um, living. I can see her creating. I can see her serving. Um, and and that's really you know the 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 relationship. That's really the thing that just sets so so smoothly and easily in my heart when it comes to to my grandmother. Have you thought about as now an adult black woman? the secrets that she may have held? Ooh, oh yes. Ooh, yes. Um, and and some things my mom shared with me at a, a older age about my grandmother and some of the things that she possibly could have went through. You know, I know she was raped. Um, I know that not being able to, to hear or talk, um, she definitely was taken advantage of physically, you know, as far as, you know, people kind of shorting her with money or, you know, not giving her the best clothes or the best resources, the best living spaces. Um, so I know there are so many things that, that she kept, um, not, not, I don't want to say kept from because she probably would have shared if she could have in a verbal sense. Um, but my God, I, I can just imagine all of the things that she went through um, and to live up to the late age that she did and still show up for me in the way she did. Um, I mean, yeah, I, sometimes I kind of, even right now I'm sitting in awe. Like I know with 78 years of living, grandma had to have some crazy stories to tell. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And one of the things that I have come to realize is there are many things that they have passed down to us um, mm-hmm. that 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 we have inherited, right? In- inherently or explicitly. Um, but I, I feel blessed for our generation in that I think we've been empowered in, in a way to really process our own trauma in a way that they may not have been given the space or the tools to do. Right. Right. So when, mm-hmm. when we talk about standing on the shoulders of our ancestors, we think about that in terms of what they sacrificed for us. Right. To be able to go to school and, and, and have a safe home and all that stuff. But also I think about the fact that the work that they did to give us resources, also those resources helped to facilitate our mm-hmm. own healing in a way yeah. that they may not have been afforded. Yeah. Right. And um, so that's why, you know, I anytime we start to talk about grandparents on this show and parents, I dig in in the way that I do because they deserve so much honor. They do. Um, and, they do. you know, they they often leave here and we, we have the service and we celebrate. 
they they don't necessarily have the notoriety in the way that we do. They don't Absolutely. they didn't have the platforms that we do mm -hmm. um, now. So it's always important to me that that we particularly our female ancestors that we speak, you know, speak their names and speak their stories uh, in these types of settings for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm 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 blessed um, because this this is kind of like a moment where I, I feel like she she's speaking to me right now in my life. Recently, we went to we drove that drove down to South Carolina, <laughs> me, my mom, my dad and my sister, just the four of us. And um, we was able to go to my grandmother's gravesite. Mm. Um, and that was a big deal because we had not been down there since we buried her. Um, and so being able to go and, and lay flowers on her um, and just tell her that I love her and I miss her and to, to watch my mom, you know, look down and, and connect with her. Um, and I can see my mom in a way there was a joy there. There was a relief there. Um, so even for me, it was kind of like, wow, you know, this this is necessary. Right. To come back. Um, to just stand on that that place, which I consider holy ground, um, and to just just say thank you, to give flowers, right? To just say hello, um, you know. And I joked with my sister when we were driving in, um, because you know, in, in South Carolina, deep, deep, deep in the South, dirt roads deep. You know, there's not a real path trail. My my cousin who recently passed, God rest his soul, you know, he 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 led us down the path and opened the gate for us. Um, and I was like, Oh, I know grandma be out here at night just having a good time, you know, her spirit just just all over this place. Um, and and I had to say thank you, even while driving down the path. I was thank you, grandma. Thank you for for your life. Um, and thanking God for the opportunity to even go back. Cause a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go back. Some people don't have that chance. Um, and so coming back home, that was definitely a thing where I, I speak her name. I have her middle, I have her name as my middle name. It's Lugenia. Um, and for a long time I was ashamed of that name. People used to be like, What's your middle name? <laughs> Lulu, who, who gave you Lugenia? Lugenia, what, what kind of name is that? Um, and so I ended up giving my sister my dad's mother's name, which I won't speak because she she will hurt me. Um, but for a long time, I was afraid um, of sharing that my middle name was Lugenia because I was um, I just didn't like the name really. But it was kind of like not cool, like mm -hmm. what? Um, but I embraced that fully and wholly today um, as as she was just such an amazing person. Like you said, she deserves that that honor and respect um, now that that she's no longer here. I have the opportunity to make sure that that legacy, you know, lives on. And let me just say and that Lugenia, that's not like somebody <laughs> that can really throw down on some pie or something. <laughs> Then, uh, okay, woo wee. And my mother is a, a amazing cook, amazing. But she she always credits her mother. Um, and so I mean, just amazing. Like I I don't know anyone who's come over and for all the Thanksgivings, they, you know, people that know my family know we the four of us is be the four of us and we cooking like it's twenty people coming over. <laughs> Um, but that's my grandmother all in through, you know, pots of rice and the cakes and the pies and the ham hocks and the fried chicken list. I could go on and on and on, but that woman threw down. I don't, I don't know what it was, but she had that, she had those hands. So yeah. So let's shift gears and talk about your father now, mm -hmm. right? Because you're in this cocoon with really strong women mm. living together. And then your father who, you know, exists but you don't know very well, pops back up, right? What was that transition like going from an all-female household to now having a man in the house, not just a man, but a man who is your actual father who you did not have a solid foundation with before then? Um. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, daddy was my, that was, he was my superhero. It didn't matter to me what was going on. I didn't know. I, my mm -hmm. mom, you know, she kept that stuff away from us. Um, but I, I, it was kind of like nothing mattered. You know, my dad was back in my life. Um, and for several years, it was just like, you know, I was I was in La La Land. You know, we went, we traveled. He took me to places with him. 
you know, we were, he is kind of like, he wanted me to be a dancer, but he also wanted me to be a boxer. Cause we would, I remember us boxing, you know, he would sit me on his lap and, you know, show me some moves and some jabs. Um, and so it was, it was just kind of like, wow, you know, like the whole family's here and daddy's here and I don't care what, what went wrong. I don't care what you've done in the past. Like, you know, I love you. And and that's all that matters. And and the fact that he showed up in that way, um, it made me appreciate him anymore, it, it, even more um, because he didn't come with his scars. He didn't come with his, his wounds or his troubles. He came and he always gave me the best of himself. Um, but I, there was a time, there was a, a time where, you know, you start getting in, I started getting into boys and, um, for some reason, I think there became a shift because it was kind of like, wow, okay. Um, I'm, I'm running into a lot of bad boys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I wonder if that's because of, you know, the fact that, um, there was something in me that I probably never really fully processed. Um, that probably resented my dad a little bit. Mm. Um, I was so happy with, with the fact that he was there, but was there, was there a part of me that I kind of tugged down so deep, um, because I, I was sad that he wasn't there. Um, and then I think that, you know, questions started to pop up in my head, um, around, you know, why, why didn't he come sooner? Um, why, why didn't he show up? Um, I think the older I got, the more I was able to kind of reflect and think about it. And then when my sister was born, um, I think it really hit me because it's like, wow, my sister gets to experience daddy, like from the very, very beginning, all the way up, you know, all throughout. And I, I felt like there was a part of my life where I didn't have that. Um, and so it, 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 it started to get harder for me as I got into those teenage years. Um, and as I started to look at the men that I was kind of, you know, attracted to and trying to get the attention of compared to, you know, the relationship that I had with my dad. Um, and then I started to take, you know, when I took the rose colored glasses off, I started to kind of see what my father was really struggling with um, and how hard um, he was battling his own issues and his own demons and his own challenges. And so the superhero, the cape started to kind of in my mind, it started to drift off a little bit. Um, and so it, it, it was kind of, it was definitely uh, challenging and emotional for me for a really long time after that, because, um, you know, when you, you look at your sibling and you look at the relationship that they have with a particular parent, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's different for them because, they were able to cultivate that relationship. And for me, it was like, wow, okay, this, this is not the story that I get to tell. Um, and so, you know, I love, I I love my father, um, because he was able to come in and turn his life around and take care of the household and went from my mom being, you know, the person and the sole breadwinner and still married, still telling people that, you know, she loves her husband and supporting him through everything to my father. When my mom got really, really sick, my father being the one to just step up completely and take care of all of us. Um, And so I appreciate him for it. But I know that, you know, there was definitely um, something there, a wound, a deeper wound, a deeper um, question that I had deep in my spirit um, as to why, you know, he wasn't there in the earlier parts of my life. And I don't blame him for it. Um, but because I didn't know any better, it was kind of like, well, who, I can't blame myself. Who else do I, who else do I shift this to? Um, so it was challenging, but my father has just been, um, the, I think his, tra- again, his transformation has kind of been the one thing that I, I can never doubt and I can never, um, you know, not give him credit for um, and so I'm, I'm grateful just to experience him in that way. And he's still, you know, my parents still rocking, married, moving and shaking, you know, he's, he's home kicking up, 
Uh, we bought them a family dog. So, you know, that's his buddy now. Um, but even as they get older in years and it shifts to me and my sister having to be responsible and to make sure that they're taken care of. My father is still like, no, nah, I'm good. You ain't got to worry about me. I'm out here in these streets. You know, I'm, I'm staying active. You know, done retired and then got himself another job. I'm like, what the hell? Who cool the way they do that at? You know, out here like, yeah, I'm about me some Jordans and a, and a nice fitted. I'm trying to be, I'm like, dad, what you doing? What's going on? But just seeing that in him, it just, it's like, wow, right? This, this whole time, you know, so influenced by my grandmother, so influenced by my mom, but seeing that like resilience of my father um, and how he's bounced back and, and even to this day just won't stop, can't stop. Um, and people say we look just alike. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm standing next to my father and my mom, people will call me my father's twin um, completely all up and down. And so um, I think, you know, having that opportunity to step back and kind of look at, you know, what our relationship has been like, the ups and the downs, um, and to appreciate him now older in age um, and who, you know, the man that I want to marry, the man that I want to father my children. um, I would have to say that there are so many great qualities that, you know, I will want them to have that resonate with who I know my father to be. And I think there are a, a couple of really important lessons in this Namely, the the beautiful miracle, as you stated, is the fact that we all know veterans do not often get the support that they need to to repatriate and sort of integrate into a regular life. So and then they cope with that in many different ways. Right. So to see what he has gone through as a veteran. And then when you add the addiction piece, oftentimes when people think about former addicts, and the families that they have now yes. been forced to walk away from or voluntarily walk away from, it's very rare that you hear that there's been a reconciliation in this way. Absolutely. Uh, and 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 that whoever the person is who's battled these things has remained deeply committed mm-hmm. right, to putting their life back together and walking that road. I think that's a, a beautiful testament to really what's possible. When somebody's yeah. ready, they're ready to make the change um reconciliation and rehabilitation can happen so i think that's beautiful and also it's something that we've talked about on this show a lot is we often talk about kind of growing up and how your parents become their friends we don't uh, become your friends we don't talk a lot about growing up and the older you get the more you see your parents humanity yeah listen when you're a child those guys like just those kid goggles are on yeah and then as you start to come in your into your own you see, okay, yeah, you know, this is, yes, this is my hero, but there are things that he's still struggling with, right? That he may always struggle with. And lastly, um, you mentioned feeling like, you know, he was your superhero and everything was cool. And then this younger sibling comes along and you start to see what you missed. And I think it's important to, to put a bit of an annotation there because Mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, you hear people, you ask people about something that they've been through and they're like, yeah, I went to that. It was really difficult, but I'm good. I'm not affected by that or I'm healed from that. Not realizing they haven't had the right trigger yet. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like if you have a a broken bone or a sprained, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a sprained finger or something, it's all good as long as it's held in one position. That's right. But knock it, knock it one way or another. Right. And the pain hits. And this is the, the byproduct of thinking that, uh, something is healed, but it has not healed correctly. Absolutely. The bone was never set. It was just never set. That's it. You know, you 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 hit it right on the nail. I mean, and 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 that's something that I I share with folks too. You know, sometimes they just they it, it, it and I never wish anything bad on anybody, right? Like, absolutely not. Um, but but life is that's what is a part of life. You know, hitting those moments where you are forced to look yourself in the mirror, right? That's kind of what COVID did with me, or you're forced to kind of take a step back and look at some of the relationship dynamics um, and some of the people and some of the things and um, just, you know, that you idolize or, you know, you put on a pedestal or that you kind of pushed away, right? Or or that you tucked away or that you tried to hide from 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 daylight because you you didn't want anybody to see it. It only takes one instance, one, one, one moment 
where you, you know, however it happens, right, where God is like, okay, I'm going to need, we're going to get this right. And in order for it to get right, you know, there's, there's this like, you know, storm <laughs> um, that forces you to really reconcile with whatever it is that you try to, you know, keep hidden for so long. And, and that's what it, that's what I dealt with in many different occasions, um, having a moment where it was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm thinking everything is good. And then boom, you, you get completely knocked out. Um, lights knocked out, you're knocked out on your feet, you're on the ground and you're like, what is happening? How did this happen? Um, so I completely resonate, resonate with that fully. Yeah. Yes. Life will lay you out. I have learned that (laughs) <laughs> multiple times uh, since we've been in the house. <laughs> yes, yeah. For sure. But switching gears now to talk about academics, because you mm-hmm. mentioned that you were the smart girl. Mm-hmm. So what were your, you know, college and career aspirations as a teenager? Man, um, you know, I wanted to be the, the the standard lawyer, doctor, you know, thing. I always toggle between the two. Um, kind of wanted to be a teacher. I would, you know, imagine having, uh, you know, students and I would have papers and I would grade papers and give pink slips. I've been in Catholic school all my life. Um, and so, you know, that, that I knew I wanted to go to an HBCU, um, for sure, because I was in Catholic school. I went to all girls, all girls Catholic school. Um, and so I knew I wanted to kind of be in touch with my people and kind of really dig into my culture, um, and what it means to be black in this country, um, because I didn't really have that exposure, you know, through, um, elementary and high school. And so, you know, being in high school, um, you know, that was the thing they would tell you, oh, you, you know, being grown up in New York in the city, you know, they push the CUNY schools. They want you to stay in the city or they push the SUNY schools. They want you to stay in the state. Um, and granted, you know, you got free money and um, well, there's no such thing as free, but you got money. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, you you had that opportunity to stay close to home and, you know, stay in a familiar setting. But I wanted to explore and I wanted to be out and I wanted to be away. Um, and I knew that from the very beginning, um, it, you know, as I got, you know, closer to senior year of high school, I couldn't really articulate who I wanted to be. You know, the lawyer and the doctor kind of faded away <laughs> when I realized, oh, I gotta, I gotta go to school for another four years after that. And then I gotta, you know, so you you start to think about that. Um, I knew I wanted to be in business. I knew that, you know, there was a there, I had an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and so that was kind of the route that I was was aiming to go. Um, and I, you know, was hoping it would be a straight path, but you know, things happen. Um, and so, yeah, I, I applied to a few HBCUs. Howard was definitely my number one choice. Um, but because of what was going on at home and my mom being really sick, um, like she got really, really sick. That started to consume me, um, as a junior and a senior. And I kind of had to figure it out on my own. You know, dad was working because, you know, mom was sick. Um, And so that was during this time where he had to pick up and and really kind of um, carry the torch and and lead the household. And so I just remember, you know, guidance counselors telling me, you know, okay, so what's SUNY school? And I was like, I'm not applying to any SUNY schools. I'm applying to HB. So you need to find some money for me because I'm going to Howard or, you know, I'm I'm going somewhere. I'm I'm not staying in New York. I'm not staying in a city. I'm not staying on a block that I grew up in. Like that's just not happening. Um, and so, you know, funny story. Uh, my best friend was, was like, okay, so there's a school that, you know, I'm going to go to, you know, she was the captain of the basketball team. I was the captain of the step team. Um, and, and she was like, yeah, I'm gonna go to the school and I'm gonna, I'm gonna play ball. And so, yeah, you know, come with me. And it's dope at Virginia state. It's in, it's in Petersburg, Virginia. And I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. You know, I'm like, all right, it's HBCU. So that works. I'm like, well, I'm gonna still apply to Howard, but you know, I'll apply to Virginia state. We'll see how this goes. Um, and I'll never forget, you know, we, we were talking about it. We were all excited about it. Um, and I think I had gotten a letter from Howard, like, you know, 
uh, I had been accepted, but I didn't have housing or something mm-hmm. like that. And my mother was like, you know, you're not going anywhere. You know, you don't have a place to stay. And I was like, what? No, this is my number one choice. What are you talking about? Um, and so she looked at, you know, Virginia State's package and was like, okay, well, they're giving you housing. So I think this is where you should go. Um, and I was like, all right, well, that's where my best friend wants to go anyway. So fine. Right. Um, and I'll never forget on a train ride home one day, um, her along with my other uh, best friend, you know, they were like, we have something to tell you. And I was like, okay, what is it? And she was like, I'm not going to Virginia State anymore. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? What? <laughs> like, I just couldn't figure it out. And at that, I think I had already committed to Virginia State. I already sent in the money and everything. So I was just like, wow, okay. And so even with that, looking back, right? You know, there was a my willingness to kind of, you know, settle for it because I know, you know, my best friend wanted to go and, you know, I was cool with it, but it, it made, it really put me in a, in a situation was like, wow, in there, you're stuck with this decision. Mm-hmm. Like you're, and you're going by yourself. <laughs> um, could I, could I have made another decision? Could I have really t- taken the time to, to look into other options? Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong. Virginia State is a good school. Shout out to the Trojans. Um, I'm, I made some, some really great friends there. I had some really um, great experiences, but I had some really dark moments too. Um, because being there by myself, I got really homesick. Um, and I just wasn't used to the culture, right? Going from Catholic school from first grade all the way to 12th grade and being on this historically Black (laughs) college campus and just being overwhelmed and then having to deal with it by myself. I did know people um, there, my roommate, um, we grew up together, but there was a different type of relationship there. It wasn't the same. Um, And so, yeah, that that became a that 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 was an interesting time period for me. Um, and when you talk about when we, earlier when we were talking about one of those times in life where you kind of get knocked down, um, that that time period was was where I really had like a moment where I had to sit down and really say to myself, you know, am I living for myself? Am I living for me? Am I really? Um, approaching this thing as if I have something of value to bring and I have a space um, for me in any place that I go, that there's a lane for me in any place that I go. When I, you know, talk about my childhood and my grandmother and my mom and my dad, um, I never, I don't, I rarely remember me prioritizing what it is that I needed and what I wanted. I remember being consumed with with my mom being okay and my mom's sickness or my grandmother being so fearful of death. Like I was really scared of death and being so scared because she was sick. And then being, you know, daddy's here and just having all of those things that I was looking to, but I don't, it got to a point where I couldn't really verbalize what it is that I wanted and and who, who it is, who it was um, that was, kind of living the life that I was living at that time. Like who, who, who is Lanier? Who was Lanier? Like what? That was a time where I had that experience. And I knew that, like I said, I know that there was something greater. I wanted to be greater. I knew what school I wanted to go to. And I knew something that I wanted to achieve in life, but those were all external things. Right. I didn't really have the opportunity to really sit with myself and process a lot of the internal things that I was kind of dealing with, right? Being, it was kind of like I was a sponge that soaked up all of these things, right? That was happening around me. Um, And I began to swell up because I had all of these different life experiences and struggles and challenges. um, And it wasn't a proper outlet for any of it. Um, And, and so you know, I remember, you know, freshman year of college again, I was sick. I was like, oh, I hate it here by myself. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Is this the path that I'm supposed to be on? I'm away from all my friends. I'm away from what feels familiar. Um, and sophomore year came. I said, you know what? I'm going to give Virginia State another chance. I made some some cool friends. I had some really fun moments. Um and so even though I had an application for another school in my dorm room sitting right on, a, on my desk, 
for a couple of months because I was always kind of going back and forth between transferring. I just said, you know what, I'm going to give it another another shot. And so I did that. Um, and so sophomore year, September of, of uh, 2015, I went back for my sophomore year and um, I knew that there was a girl from my old neighborhood who was coming to to my school. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had trouble back home, not, not directly, not personally between us, but you know, when you got beef with, with, with someone's friend or somebody's crew, you know, you know, that that person is kind of marked as the opposition. They're, yes. they're like the enemy. And so that's how the relationship was between her and I, um, and our parents actually were, were cool. They were, they were close. So my mom did tell me, you know, such and such is coming to school. And I was like, all right, well. Long as she stay away from me, I stay away from her. You know, we good. And I never forget, we were sitting. I was sitting with a couple of my friends. We were in. It was orientation week, and everyone was kind of settling, getting classes together. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in an auditorium, and I just had a really bad feeling. Like mm-hmm. I was telling them, like y'all, I don't know, like something doesn't feel right. Like I feel like something is about to happen. And they were like, what girl, what you talking about? Ain't you good? Ain't nobody, ain't nothing gonna happen to you, you fine. I'm like, no, like something feels off. And so I knew, I knew, you know, the girl from my own neighborhood was there, but I didn't give much credit to that. I'm like, you know, am I feeling, maybe did I make the right decision? Maybe I really should have went to another school. Maybe I should have thought about this a little bit more. And two days later, I walk into the cafeteria and I get into a huge fight with the the young lady from my old neighborhood. And when I say it was a huge fight, I think we done traveled. We done we probably traveled from the table to to one side of the canteen to the other to the window to the wall to the floor. Um, because I just remember when I finally did get up, I, I blacked out. I don't remember what happened, but I remember when I finally did get up, it had to be at least 200 people around me, at least. Like I, people must've ran from all over. You know how black school, just, you know, our people, something yes. happens. Oh, where the drama at? I'm running over there. Wait, what's going on? It's two girls fighting? Oh, snap. Um, but I just remember seeing so many people around me like, get her out of here. The cops are coming. Run. And um, I was like, wait, what just happened? Like, it, it it was like, did I just have a fight? Like, oh my gosh. But wait, um, hold on. Did you, you said you blacked out, but do you I recall did. how this started? I So honestly, I don't want to have revisionist history. You know, this yes. is, okay, so I will admit, this is a part of my life that I tucked away for so long because I was just, ash- I was just ashamed being this, you know, straight A student who went through elementary school and high school with no problems, zero. My mother didn't tolerate it. My mother was like, you know, the, the, the bat woman of the hood. She would come out in that black trench coat and make sure I was staying on the block and gave, I had an early curfew. I was just never that person. Of course, I had like a fight here and there to defend myself, but um, it, I, so anyway, I re- do I, I remember sitting there um, and I remember seeing her walk in and I remember her just staring at me and she said something to me. And I just remember saying like, huh? Like I was, I didn't know if she was talking to me to be nice or if she was talking to me to be, I, I just didn't know at that time. And all I remember is her putting her books down. Like they, we were sitting at these like high board tables, me and another friend. And she was kind of like two tables away from me. And I remember her setting her books down and like walking towards me in a, in a way that I recall being very aggressive. And I, I don't know if I had got up, you know, in defense. Um, but I do remember kind of getting up and like pushing my books aside because I was like, I got to be prepared for whatever's coming my way. Um, and that's it. I don't recall who swung first or I, we didn't exchange any more words after that. I know that for sure. Um, and so, yeah, th- <laughs> that is, that is a, that was, a, and that, the whole thing was just very interesting. Um, and so when I think about, you know, where was I? I'm sorry. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about the aftermath from that. Okay. So we talked about, they're like, get her out of here. The cops are coming, which sounds very much like an HBCU experience. Oh, man. Um, those campus police. They're going to find their way to the melee. 
but what happened? What were the repercussions of that? Yeah, so I remember um, my homeboy at the time, he rushed me away. Hit, we like went to the back, um, down the hill behind the, the canteen area, the cafeteria, cafeteria area. And I went to my room um, and I remember sitting there like, oh my God, okay, as long as the cops don't find me, like I'm okay. Um, but silly me, there were like 200 people out there. So of course somebody is going to locate you. So I remember um, them coming to my dorm room and telling me, you know, I had to come with them. I had to get in the car and I had to drive to, you know, it wasn't a precinct, but you know, the, the, the office. Um, and so they sat me down, they questioned me, you know, they asked me what happened. And I was like, I honestly don't remember. I just remember getting up and trying to like, you know, in case I needed to, you know, defend myself in any way, but there were no real words exchanged. And so they were like, how could this happen? So when I told them that there was somebody that I knew from my old neighborhood and that there was, you know, some, some beef there, they were like, oh, okay. It's one of those things. And that was it. You know, they kind of wrote an incident report and, um, you know, they told me that they would call me, um, to just stay in my room and stay away from, you know, anything else and that they were going to talk to her and that it would be good. And so I thought it was good. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and I was kind of like, you know, ashamed to walk down because I didn't I didn't know who was there, who saw who would recognize me. And I I just don't remember. I know her, you know, I, I got her good. So I, I know that I was walking around with with a belt on my on my shoulder from that fight, but I still was kind of like, this ain't me, y'all. This is not who I am. Um, at least that's not what I wanted people to view me as, right? Um, and I'll never forget, uh, my mom called me and said, uh, I got a phone call <laughs> from Judicial Affairs. And I said, oh, okay. And I was like, all right, well, you know, this happened. She said, well, let me, let me call her aunt. Because again, my mom was, you know, familiar with the family. Um, and so I think she, she called over and she, they talked it out and she was like, yeah, I mean, you know, you you all had a fight and apparently it was a big one. So you're going to have to go to judicial affairs and, and talk about it. And I was like, OK, well, what does this mean? Like, do I have to pay a fine? Am I have to go to jail? <laughs> like, what is going on? And so my mother's like, I don't know, but whatever it is, we're going to get through it. Right. I know you're I know you're tough and I know you've been through a lot. Um, and I know you've been been homesick, you know, being the, being a mom, trying to trying to be my coach and my cheerleader at the same time. Right. Um, and so I remember going to judicial affairs. And when I got there, this girl had on a neck brace and a knee brace and went in there and put on a show. Oh, no. And I just <laughs> remember sitting there my regular self like, yeah, I had a fight, but I'm good. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm committed to my education. I'm trying to just, I'm coming as me. But when I saw her, I was like, oh, wow. Um, I gotta, I need a lawyer. <laughs> I gotta get my story together. This girl really put on an act. And when I say she put on an act, now I got her good, but I ain't mess her up like that. <laughs> to be coming in with a brace? Like, you gotta be kidding me. Um, and so, you know, long story short, they suspended me for a year, mm. um, and they allowed her to stay. And I just remember feeling like my life was over. Everything that I worked hard for, all of those A's, um, all of those times where I felt like I needed to do better and try harder to make my mother and my grandmother proud and my father proud to be a model for my sister, you know, to to, uh, you know, just being a dependable person that my friends could respect and rely on, um, to be someone that the people in the community, you know, was so proud of, um, um, cause I was Janice's daughter and they know Janice, you know, Janice raised you well. Um, and to be the person to get to college and get suspended. Um, I, when you talk about knockdown and and not knowing why or, you know, questioning your own self-worth, that was the lowest that, you know, I could re recall feeling ever. Um, despite all the other things that I have been through in my life, that was a time where I was like, oh, it's over for me, y'all. Like, I, I can't come back from this whatsoever. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo.
You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. 